This is the Delta Huddle Podcast. Hello, I'm Stefan Stenners, and welcome to the Delta Huddle Podcast. Today's episode is really special for a lot of reasons, mainly because it delves not only into the heart of user testing and what drives it forward, but also its history and where it came from. What we think of today as a traditional beta test or a standard user test didn't start out that way. It took years of trial and error and learning about what makes testing great to get to where we are today with Delta testing. Joining CenterCode's VP of Marketing, Chris Rader, to discuss the past, present, and future of user testing is Sharon Rylander, Senior Director of UX Research and Strategy at SquarePanda, and Mario Sancho, Chief Delivery Officer at CenterCode. Sharon's many accolades and accomplishments include winning a technical Emmy for her work at Sling, collaborating with Pixar animators to bring miniature robots to life, and showing state-of-the-art VR technology to the late Stephen Hawking. In the past 15 years, she's worked exclusively with startups to help build out teams for UX, beta testing, customer support, and more, regularly intersecting with the fields of analytics, marketing, and PR. Her current role at SquarePanda focuses on foundational literacy games for young children. And with nearly 20 years of experience under his belt at CenterCode, Mario brings a wealth of experience and expertise as the chief delivery officer. His extensive background in beta test management, including roles in support, training, and sales, has been instrumental in ensuring that CenterCode's customers continue to receive the maximum value from all of our services. This episode was a joy to make, and the insights shared by Chris, Sharon, and Mario were absolutely invaluable. There's decades of wisdom to be found in this episode, and I hope you enjoy. And I understand you guys have a pretty extensive background, so um, Sharon, first, I'd love to hear how you met Mario. Yeah. So I worked at the time at a company much like CenterCode, except we predated you guys, uh, called Betasphere. And we were in a massive time of growth, trying to hire as many program managers as possible. We were basically doing outsourced beta program management. We didn't have a SaaS model yet. So it was, it was strictly just the services. And Mario's resume came across our desk and it was shy on some of our required skills but I was the person doing the phone screens. It just kind of just barely passed. And so, and he lived in SoCal. And so it was, it was, I felt, I felt the weight of this decision about whether or not to even fly him up for an interview because uh, on paper, he looked kind of weak, but um, I talked to him and, you know, there was, there was something there and I took a chance and, and uh, we brought him up and he ended up being one of our best employees. It was, it was really amazing. Very kind there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about all the grief I gave you after. <laughs> yeah. Met, yeah. met through paper. Yeah, the, the the other side of that coin, and the reality is she absolutely took a chance on me. The, uh, anybody that's worked with me over the years with beta, if, uh, if you don't like me, she's the one to blame. So <laughs> <laughs> if you like me, she's the one to blame as well. There we uh, go. But at the end of the day, I was I was actually just out of the military at that point. I was in the Navy as a reactor operator, been out, I believe, a year or two. And I was working as a field engineer for a company called ADT at the time, doing uh, testing of installation of their equipment, all their electronic particle surveillance. Everybody at that point was doing the dot-com thing. Huh. So all my friends were going to dot-coms. They were going. And I wasn't necessarily interested in, in going into tech at least in the, the startup world. But I had an interesting experience at the time where I had done really well 
with the company I was at, got to my first review with the company, and I was supposed to have been qualified in like six of their systems by that time, and they had a total of like 12. I had qualified and was certified and was being built out on all 12 of their, of their, of their systems as a field engineer. So I thought I was just going to like, oh, I'm going to get promoted. I'm going to the next step. And my manager said, you're doing a great job. And I see no reason why you won't be promoted in the next three to five years. So <laughs> that was when I said, yeah, I want to do something different that my effort can have much closer results. So let's go look at this tech and startup world thing. So get being at that point, mostly military background and one, one, maybe two years of, of field engineer work, I started to put my resume out there and I got lucky enough to, to talk to Sharon at the time. And it was actually very straightforward. I'm like, well, why, uh, why do you think you can do this job? And I'm like, well, because I believe in myself and I'm going to work harder and I will, if I don't know it, I'll learn it. And I still remember answer to this day. It's like, I believe you. It sounds like me. Yeah, yeah, you were. You were. You were. You and I came in, met the team, and there they you say that the rest is history. And yeah. I got a job as what essence today we would call a beta manager. Yeah. And Sharon, you you mentioned it was a time of of growth and 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 looking for someone to fill that that the seat and specifically the the beta program manager. What what was going on that 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 growth was, you know, or explain the growth if you could. Yeah, it was 2000, <laughs> 1999, 2000 era. Remember that era? Yeah. 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 When everything Briefly. was exploding and there were just not enough bodies. Like, you know, literally you could go into Fry's and see somebody who was homeless last week, you know, running the aisles looking for stuff for you because there were just not enough bodies to go around to do jobs at that time. Uh -huh. um, there was so much money flowing. And then, of course, 2001 hit and it all just cratered and uh, you know, 180 there. But uh, I, the, the less flippant answer is that uh, these two guys who started this company, Betasphere, they hit a nerve and I give them so much credit. They ran a beta program. It was successful. They made a little money. They did another one. They kept growing for the first 16 quarters of their existence. They were growing and profitable on bootstrapped earnings. Uh, not a dollar taken from anybody, which is almost unheard of here in the valley, you know. Um, so it was it was Im impressive, and I and I think what they did, you know, it's a niche area, right? But they, I, they hit a nerve, and I, I used to joke that we worked with everybody except Apple, um, but we were we were playing with all the the large brands <sighs> as well as startups and everybody in between, and so. Word got around, and we were just growing rapidly. Yeah. So, yeah. so what about tech? Do you think was interested in specifically, um, I guess the the beta management or the beta the beta testing aspect of it? I sorry, what was the question? So, like, tech was looking for the solution, oh. right? So, like, what what do you think was happening specifically with tech? Like, why why do they need yes. users? Why do they yes. need testers? Yeah. No, I could tell. So, at, at least at that time, and it probably hasn't changed a ton. Um, is that the uh, there was so much competition, right? That that and so much money flowing around that companies could look at uh, quality a bit more than sometimes they had in the past, oh. and 
uh, that became a competitive advantage. There's a lot of stuff going around where people would buy technology and then consumers would get burned, right? And so, uh, especially if you've got a, a, a consumer, you know, CE product, right? A consumer electronics where um, it's expensive. It's really, really expensive. And what, yeah, and what happens in a ton of companies, and even to this day, is beta becomes this checkbox. And historically, that's kind of all it was. Is you know, you had your, your your engineering, and then you had your QA testing, and then you had this checkbox of beta, and it was always an afterthought. And by the time you got to that point in the product development process, everybody's burnout. They're just done, and they're ready to get it out. There's a ton of pressure to get the product out to market. And I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't see on a daily basis, right? There's there's just that pressure, and so it kind of it just gets done poorly. And plus, it's it's tacked on to somebody's job description. Generally, the product manager, right? And so they're doing a whole bunch of other stuff, and now they have to do this beta program, which it turns out can be very time intensive. And so it fails. They do all the, these rookie mistakes, and it just doesn't. And and then you don't get the benefit of what you could be getting. Uh -huh. So these guys came along and actually said, you know what? Your beta participation rates, that was a big thing at the time, beta participation rates are, are maybe 30% on a good day. We're going to guarantee at least 70%. And they did. And they did it through having a good methodology that was outsourced um, and basically took advantage of efficiencies across time. Because the other reality for a lot of companies is that they were only doing this checkbox maybe once every year or two because you know if you, when you're you know this agile hadn't quite taken hold yet <laughs> so right. we didn't have that concept so it was a you know it was a longer term cycle and uh, and so it didn't make sense for a company to hire a dedicated beta person unless you had a whole bunch of hardware products and then they could you know economy of scale hire somebody but that was more rare right the only thing that i remember from that era Sharon was the the big portion of their their value prop was what they would call the beta crunch, a resource crunch. Yep. And again, back to the era where you had didn't have enough people to do anything. So this checkbox, whether it was a checkbox or not, or they tried to take it seriously, we we actually still remember to the state the image where it's like this is your release date and this is the resources that you need right up coming up to your release date coming up. They're going to be really high, and those resources at the same time are trying to figure out how to launch a product, the pricing, distribution, product managers are up to here with stuff to do, and you need to do this beta as one of the last steps along the way. So some would take it as a checkbox. I'm like, yeah, we did it. Give it to someone. And others would, would try to take it seriously and realize they don't have the resources for it. <laughs> so that was the big value proposition at the time. If you want to do get something out of beta, look at Betasphere, because we are your extended resources to get this service done in a quality manner. And 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 good high participation rates that you get something out of it. <laughs> Damn, good take. Uh, how do you think that's for both of you? How do, how do you think that's changed now? I know that was obviously you know two thousand. There was an internet bubble. There was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of money. Um, I don't think we're necessarily in that position right now in a lot of companies <laughs> where, where yeah, money is very abundant. I I do feel like there's still not enough resources. Is from what I'm saying. There's there's still a few resources. Um, but not as much money going around for for that. So, do you think that changes the idea or the concept of uh, of beta? I uh, 
No, not at all. And in, in fact, with less money, there's uh, it turns out an increased need because yeah. you have even fewer people to get everything done. The thing that I've seen in my experience up close, 100%, once a company gets a taste of a well-run beta program, they never turn back. They have to have it. It becomes a mandatory part of the equation because they see the ROI. They get it. Until they experience it, oftentimes they don't get it, but that's what it takes. So especially when things get lean, they start uh, relying even more heavily on you know outsourced um, you know tools and or services. Uh, so that's what I have seen. Um, I think in terms of changes in the industry, I mean there have definitely been a lot of changes. You know now that you know everybody is doing some form of agile or at least pretends to be. Uh, there's a lot more you know iterative releases out out there. You know um, and that lends itself to the idea of delta testing, which I know you guys have coined, which is great. Um, in the, I know like a sling, we were basically doing that <laughs> we kind of, uh, organically. Uh, we just didn't know what to call it yet. So thank you. Um, so I, and, and what I mean by that is, uh, you could have a large scale beta program that is perfect for a new product going out to the market for the first time. But once you're iterating on an existing product, that changes the equation a little bit in terms of best practices huh. and also in terms of what you can get away with. You don't have to have so many people, et cetera. And so that's where Delta com comes in and where it's this ongoing process and you're just constantly iterating. And it's just, it's just the next step after QA. Um, yeah. The other part you've seen yeah. that, I, that I've experienced here in the, in the change from then to now, beta itself is, is better understood. Back then, the problem with beta fundamentally is that beta is both a stage and it's a process. So when you would try to have that conversation, oh yeah, we, we do beta. And you'd always have to go, well, can you tell me about that? And they're like, well, yeah, we're tests are, it's being QA'd and it's in our products in beta right now. Well, who's testing? Well, our QA testers. So obviously that's not how we would define <laughs> beta. And I'm like, then you're not doing beta at all. So since then, that's now you can have a conversation of that everybody's kind of coming from the same world when you're talking about beta, uh, that it is truly a product that's out in the field, that, that your testers or proxy for your testers, you know, nowadays we have dog booting that would be your potentially your customers, that it, but it's out in the real world. Somebody is either testing it as either proxy for your testers or your testers and giving you feedback during a set period of time or over time, if you will. That's where you can have a common conversation with just about anyone in any field now with, with when it comes to beta. Yeah. So I think that's one of the, the biggest changes that, that I've seen since then. And of course, the methodologies, the experience that people have, the different products and what they can get from it, uh, the value extracted from it for different teams, whether it's the engineering, QA teams, the product teams, the, the UX, CX people, uh, and even just straight marketing or promotion purposes are all kind of pulling from it today much more yep. than they ever were back in the 2000s, which was mostly a quality play back then. Yes. Yeah. 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 Almost like an extended QA. And I agree 100% that uh, the intersections with other departments is is pretty high. The value there is, is pretty high. I just want to go back really quickly, though. So it sounds like, Mario, I know you talked to a lot of companies. Is the nomenclature getting more standardized? Because I know this is one thing that has always driven us crazy, right? The the word beta it gets used in so many different ways that it almost becomes 
useless. <laughs> but uh, it sounds like, are you experiencing a bit more standardization? It is on the concept of beta, but as you're saying, well, we're now beyond beta. Center code is beyond beta now. We're, we're in the delta, which is more in line with agile. So if I want to have uh, the starting conversation on on beta, it's usually where I would do that. Well, we're, we're a start, we fundamentally, we've worked in the past with beta test and then in that scenario, I can have a very good quality conversation with with clients that we're both talking about the same thing. It's the the next level where we're now introducing Delta, this concept of continuous testing with your error releases, yeah. that it really what starts to blow people's minds that you could do that. Like, well, yeah, the Delta can absolutely. It's well tied for that. A well organized program can do that. Most of them are still thinking that even if they're in an agile format. They're going to pick some version of the release, someone that has either the most critical features in it, and they'll periodically select a version of their agile process to go and beta test. That, so where the conversations now is like, you don't have to select which is the most critical one, but let's work in a process that you can test all your iterative releases, not just the ones that you think are going to impact, have the biggest impact across the board. Yep. Yep. I would cool. definitely love some more standardization in terms of, of the nomenclature. That would be super. Uh, I know, from, right? From a, from a marketing perspective, we have to go after terms like beta testing and user acceptance testing and field testing and all yep. these different variations of the test. So a lot of those terms are still used. It really much depends on the type of company, um, whether or not they're more engineering focused or more marketing and product focused or UX focused, and they, they like to change telecoms, different like international companies call it different things. So kind of just there, Mario kind of pointed it out. There is something consistent across them and it's not the name. It's the, the it's the real people. It's the, uh, it's the, the real products and it's in their environment. So that kind of distinguishes, um, whatever term they're using and saying like, okay, we can all kind of unite around that concept more than the, the name. Uh, yeah. It is tough, though. I, I think we should form a consortium and just solve this. <laughs> this is now the second time on the podcast I've been told that we need to have a consortium. <laughs> there, oh, there we go. All right. Yeah. It, it wasn't for that one specifically. Someone was talking about um, be the founders. Yeah, it was It was one of the uh, setup protocols. We we're talking about TVs. And I don't uh -huh. know if you've ever set up a TV. Oh, yeah. And you have to log into like oh. your yeah. Netflix or anything like that. And you got to... Oh. This person says, like, "Oh yeah, you can scan this one, or you got to log into this thing, or yep. you don't have. You have to go figure it out yourself and type yep. in a keyboard to figure out your." So it's like, "Oh yeah, we got to get people together and do that." So yeah, yeah, we'll put it on the list of consortiums that we need to put together. Okay, I'm down. Sign me up. <laughs> so uh, one, one thing I I really enjoy. So I I came from beta testing as well. Like I I did beta testing at a company. We did not have a tool. We used a lot of different tools. So you, you mentioned something, Sharon, is like once you get hooked on a good beta, um, yeah. I, when I, when I started in my career, I went straight into to beta testing. I was a, I wasn't a beta tester. I was uh, like a coordinator of beta. So I had an engineer above me, um, but I would just sure. respond to all the feedback and, and get all that through. And then at one point in time, I was tasked with like trying to understand how the beta program was, was going overall. Uh, uh -huh. and I, I dug into it. I'm like, man, this that engineer is doing it different on that product line. And this engineer is doing it different on that product line. And I couldn't get that answer out of anybody. What is, what's a good, what is a good beta test or a good beta program as a whole? And I couldn't get a good measurement to tell me what was good because everyone was doing it slightly different. Now, 
have you have you seen that in, and you've been at a lot of uh, companies uh, so I feel like you have uh, enough to share on this but uh, like what's your version of a good beta and when you come into a company what does a beta program typically look like uh, if it's not a, a good beta program uh, so typically it's non-existent um, that's been my experience uh, typically and a good beta program is one where uh, everybody finds value at the end of the day. I know it sounds kind of trite, but that's that's really what it boils down to. The uh, engineers find value because it's a form of extended QA. Uh, the product people, for that same reason, like that. But they're also getting, um, if you manage the beta program well, you get advocates. So then... PR is happy because they get quotes at launch, yeah. which they don't normally get for real people, real customers, right? So they get hooked on the drug real fast. Um, similar in marketing, you know, you're doing essentially market validation as a, no, I mean, it's not true market validation. I don't want to, you know, pretend that, but it is, uh, uh, there is a significant element to that that is extremely helpful to the marketing department. So they love, you know, it just goes down the line, right? Where um, you can, if you do it well, you can predict a lot of stuff. The, the customer support organization, you're putting together, here are the likely call drivers, right? They love you because they don't have to wait and get their knees scraped. They can already have uh, articles written in advance and, you know, be ahead of the game. And same with even, you know, going back to product development, they already know, they can tell what it's going to be the dot release. They can start working on it. So even if you go to market with some known issues, you know in advance, they're already working on the fixes. People complain as everybody predicted. And then the next week you come out with the, you know, the fix for it. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, they're so responsive. And so the whole company looks brilliant when really it was just this secret weapon of doing a well-run beta. Yeah, so I, I don't want to call you a peddler at this point, but um, <laughs> the, you you come into a, a company and there's no beta per. How do you get them hooked? Are you like you give them, you give them something so to to, to it's, try. It's hard. Well, yeah, it is tough. So, um, I, uh, so here's the reality: if I get hired, that means there's at least one executive in the company who believes in the value of some form of user testing. And so I naturally have an ally. And then the rest of the company uh, probably doesn't want me to be there. Why? Because they feel threatened. Okay. Because it's like, no, we, we write good code. Why you're a you know, lot and you're going to expose everybody, you know, you get paranoid because it's your baby. You've been working on it for a year or whatever. And it, it's, it's scary. I get it. It's emotional. It's scary. Right. And so that, that comes out in the way of, uh, you know, diminishing what it could be. Do we really need this? Oh, we don't have time anymore for it. What, you know, those sorts of things, right? Some resistance. But, yeah. We, we, it's just like, testing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Guidelines. So we're, we're good to go. Marketing did its research. Of course, we developed the first product. Yes. Love it. it. Yeah. The problem yeah. with that, though, is so much time passes from the market research until you, you build it that you don't know if it's relevant still, right? Yeah. And so you got you know, that's, that's that kind of marketing tie-in. But, but someone know, has the question, right? Someone someone has the question, is it? Yeah. And it may not be that person who made it, but someone has that question. Yes. Right? 
Um, usually how you go about it, Chris, is just that. If somebody has the question, is identifying that person, Sharon talked about it, it's usually an executive. From my perspective, it's identifying the person that has doubt about everything that they've done. Whether we want to say a simple question like, what keeps you up at night? That's usually the way you get a beta program in to solve that first that that first doubt that they have to make sure that we can we can put them at ease hmm. one way or the other through a property run beta test. Oh, that's so, a great strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, normally I um I like my my strategies. It, it's similar, like to go around what on and have one on ones with people, and I just have one on ones with everybody when you first start at a place and really get to know people, really get to understand where they're coming from, what their concerns are, what their beliefs are about user testing, um, whether it's UX testing or beta or whatever. Uh, and then uh, kind of explain the process and um, and that my role is to make them look brilliant. And we're going to do that behind the scenes within the walls of this company. And even if beta program, there's still like a... a you know, it feels like it's out there, but it's not really out there yet. It's not in the public eye yet. So there's still time to figure out how to respond to things that we may not have anticipated. So that's the the first thing that I do when I go into a company is basically a, a sales job just to kind of warm people up. And then, <laughs> and then there's still, you know, people kind of nod their heads and you can still see the doubt in their eyes. It's like, okay, I guess we're doing this. You know, and then they get the results and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, they're the ones going to bath. Like, we definitely need to keep doing this. And it's just, it always takes care of itself. And that's, it's been my experience every single company. I've, I have a good story. I won't tell it right now, but I have a good story for the opposite what? of someone who really I want, to ask, I want to ask you guys the question first. Someone who didn't have doubt and it was proven that they need to run a test. There was no doubt in anybody's mind at the company that they needed to do this and they threw every they threw a lot of money at it to solve the problem. They saw beta as okay, that's gonna solve solve this problem. Oh, yeah. uh, my okay. story has to do with products having to be returned and the company had some pretty big problems and they, they needed to solve this before um right now. They need to solve it right now. So have you had that experience of someone that did not have doubt, they were certain they needed to do beta testing, come fix this for us, make this better. Uh no, but I can imagine like that, that to me, like I immediately smell um, panic. And whenever there's panic at a company, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, things get weird. And so I would like my response to that would be to diffuse the panic mm. and work on that in parallel with actually probably it sounds like they probably would need a beta program, but I think that's almost secondary to uh whatever led up to that moment yeah. for me that actually conjures something slightly different probably from what you're asking for is the person that wants to do a beta test or the company wants to do a beta test what i call the wrong reasons well, and that reason is we're gonna sell this our product to these beta testers yeah that's oh, actually crazy in my head originally went i'm like okay yes their product is so awesome and we're gonna do a beta test because it is a uh, way down to increase sales yeah and beta test will do that but not you're you're using and you're abusing your testers in that moment for what they're there for to help you it's not to sell them something it's to get their honest feedback to help you make a better yeah. product 
So therefore, you can go sell it to other people uh, and I'm in a faster, higher rate than you would otherwise. So yeah. those are the ones. That's what you said that that's where that went. We want to do a beta test. <laughs> what's what's funny mind. is there's a lot of variations of what what beta is solving for somebody. Like we talked about the checkbox. I just need to get this out the door. I need to do this. There's the the the, the company that someone there has a question in their mind of, I don't know if I really trust this. Um, can you help me make sure that I can trust it and get some, you know, confidence boost? The one I was talking about was the one with the, oh crap moment. We launched something and we need to pull it back because wow. we released with something real bad in the field. Oh um, my gosh. The one I'm talking about is a, a company shipped a product. Um, the reviews were atrocious. Um, it had a pretty big um, manufacturing blunder um, when they, when they okay. produced the units and they actually had to pull back the units. They had bad reviews. It cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars in total to just bring back the units. They had to remanufacture the pieces of, of the broken unit. And they came back and they're, please, our, we need a beta program. Please, we need everything <laughs> in place to check before this product goes out the door because we well, can't spend that money again on another failed product release. Yeah, that's an expensive lesson for yes. sure. Oh, that's painful. That's yeah. painful. It's, it's interesting. Go, go ahead, Sharon, please. No, it's, it's, when I started at Sling, um, we were just expanding internationally and uh, we had a, you know, this was, this was a hardware device that connected to your, both your TV and your internet. And it worked, you know, brilliantly in, in the US, going to Europe, and they literally were about to launch. And thank goodness, did the beta. <laughs> uh, because it turned out there is a network setting on home routers in Europe that has a value outside of the range for the US. And because we had coded for the US, nobody thought about it because nobody experienced it ever. All the tests were running fine, right? Um, so it literally was going to launch in a way where nobody could use the product, where it would be a 100% fail rate. Ugh. But, and, and that simplest thing to correct too, right? Like one line of code and you're done. Um, but. <laughs> Luckily caught. So thank you, Beta. The the that's the the war story is that most people don't get to hear. Like when I'd say the story of someone that released it and it went out, it's like, oh yeah, there's money attached to it. You can explain it, but here's what we saved the company from yes. doing. Yes. Oh, what I used to call those the gold when I was a beta manager, was I called those the golden bugs. Yeah. It was something that was caught that you got to come and say, Hey, now stop production. Yeah, and please stop. Please stop. <laughs> okay, we found something. We're gonna fix that. It's gonna be great. It's just you are. Those were the best. Uh, those to me, those were the best. I was always hoping as a beta manager to find that, to find the, the thing that just one individual item that came out of it that saved everything, saved the company millions of dollars, saved people jobs and careers in some cases because it did what it needed to do, mm -hmm. which double check our work prior to going out yeah i mean it's Brent, so it's hard so to funny. do it without that right like how <laughs> a double check you probably didn't do a great enough check yourself <laughs> just being a developer or a, a product manager or qa person like assuming that you're going to cover everything is a little wild um yeah all right chris you might be one of the only other people on the planet that's got the depth of experience in both beta and UX research. Um, a few. There's a few out there. 
<laughs> are they? No. I. Where are these people? Because I, I know a couple. I know a couple. I've I've worked with them. That's the only reason I know. <laughs> no, because uh, I I've been uh, in more recent years. I I've actually been focused more on UX research, uh-huh. and I. Uh, when I interact with those folks, it's like beta is way over somewhere else. It's like zero interaction. Yeah. And I was even at a, I was on this online, um, you know, meetup type event with, I don't know, there was, it was besides, well, I don't know, 60 other people or something, the all UX researchers and asked the question, oh, so, you know, who, who, who's integrating beta as part of the, or, you know, overseeing it or, or knows about it or is in some way intersecting with, with beta Chirp, 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 yeah. chirp, chirp, chirp. Finally, finally, somebody goes, um, do you mean a uh, a longitudinal diary study? An Don't ethnographic you? study? Yeah. <laughs> yes, there's plenty of names for it. <laughs> and I was shocked. Yeah. And because to me, it's it's all under the same umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, other people, this is great. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you when you think about user research, it's users, right? So it was beta testing, yep. reaching out to those people. It was a natural connection to me because yes. when I when I worked there, it was uh, when I worked at Western Digital, I, I kind of started up in user research there. I picked up some books, I met with the UX manager, and I was I was hooked on it. The idea of psychology and thinking yep. with users and all that stuff. And I was doing beta at the time, which was far more QA focused. So I think that's really the disconnect is it's it's a separate separation in when the product is developed and when it hits each of these teams. User yep. research and, and UX is design. The product isn't really flushed out yet. It's a lot of prototype stage. It's yep. some of that. And it's in a slightly different area of, of teams until Agile really came in and just like started blending everybody into to one project group. So that's where I saw that connection. But User research should absolutely care about beta. And I, I, the reason why I say it, I see it all the time, is because UX talk to the people that are running betas. So it's not always UX that aren't necessarily running them, but they have the survey experience, right? They yes. know how to write a good survey. They know how to um, dig into a little bit of depth when they're talking to users and, and probe for some, you know, good responses. And um, yep. yeah. And yeah, to, yeah. About some, it. Give yes. some context. That's actually how I met Sharon uh, from, because I was doing user research. I was I kind of was dabbling it here at CenterCode, and I worked with Sharon on a, on a couple of projects, and we did some uh, moderated in lab studies. Uh, we brought some people yep. in, and we test out some products, and just a natural connection. She was already doing beta testing on those things, and it was great flavor like, to add this? to anything. Yeah, I was like, what is this methodology? This is cool. And then uh, I I think at let's see. That was, we did that with, did that at Anki, I guess. We didn't, I remember doing an out of box with you on that. That was great. That was very helpful. But she um, hired one of those participants. I don't know if you know that. Did you? Yes. She was Haley. <laughs> our, commu- our, our beta bound community manager participated in those studies. Yes. So she brought I've in her, her younger brother to give feedback okay. and she was just, she was there. Uh, because we met through through BetaBound, but she <laughs> that uh, that doesn't make me feel uh, younger. But <laughs> but yeah, we hired we hired one of those participants. It's 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 interesting when you think about a, a user researcher. They have a connection to design, right? That that's their resource, right? They produce the designs. Yes. And engineers have QA and QA's the same connection. So those two are separated. 
So it's like, that's why there's a somewhat of a rarity of what Sharon's seeing is in that connection between both of them. Yeah. So it has to be a good environment for a UX person to say, hey, engineers, <laughs> but I ran into these things that are not really my camp, they're your camp. And then that starts people pointing fingers. And that's that's what I always felt when the tension of, of of working with those teams early on. It's you're you're calling my baby ugly and you're not even supposed to be working on my baby. Like you work on yours and I'll work on mine. So it was always like, don't bring your bugs to my area or don't bring your usability issues to mine. Yeah. So this. OK, so that brings up a good point. And this is something I also really want to talk to you about. Um, I feel like the way organizations are set up where research is done in silos uh, is less than ideal for okay. probably most companies. And I'm sure there are exceptions, but I've experienced uh, you know, helping to build and being a part of a research group that funneled up into its own executive sponsor and included market research, uh -huh. user testing, and beta, all under the same roof. We were one team. Now, on a day-to-day -day basis, everybody's off running, you know, working with their own teams face-to-face -face individually, but they're not reporting to that manager, which is kind of a, you know, fox in the hen house sort of situation, honestly, right? So it's a little bit less biased. Um, and also, there's so much cross-collaboration at the end of the day when everybody's kind of back at their desk and going, oh, I'm doing this. It's like, oh, you found that you know, result. And oh, I found this result. Um, and you could actually get a, a clearer picture of truth. And the relevancy of that is I've seen more than once uh, the marketing department deliver one report and the product department deliver another report, whether it's from user testing or beta or whatever. And the information conflicts. Uh -huh. And nobody knows this. Nobody sees this except the executive staff. And they are left with having to decide who's telling the better truth. Yeah. And they only have, you know, 10 minutes to decide it. And so they make a decision. And it's just that is the wrong way to go about it. Uh -huh. If you have the researchers, what I saw is that when research conflicted, the actual researchers or who, who were on the front lines who actually had talked to the people who were or who had been you know buried in the numbers and did all the calculations they can actually talk and figure out together what's truth and then have that reported up uh -huh. that's harder to do when those people report to different managers because then it gets territorial and personal versus when you're working on the same team you're working towards a common goal which is a fine truth for the company, so the company can make the best decisions possible. Uh -huh. So this is something that is I'm, you know, I, I think about a lot, and I, I, I think companies will start to get smart and organized that way. Um, I I do hear of it a little bit, but not a lot. Do you see anything like that, Mario? In terms of, I, yeah, probably not, right? I haven't. No, not. I can't say that I have. I can't think of a single example. Yeah. It's because like, what happens typically, typically, right, is is when companies start or start, you know, they do have they are siloed, right? Marketing's over here doing their thing, and you know, products over here doing their thing, and um, and that makes sense. But I I see a real opportunity for companies that are a bit more forward thinking to um, structure things a little bit differently to take advantage. And again, not it's not going to be relevant for all companies. I think 
especially if you're a really large corporation that may just, it, you just may be too entrenched. Do you see that, that single manager then reporting directly to the CEO or like what, under what? Yeah, ideally, and, yes. Because the chief research officer, is that really what it comes down to? Is that what Yeah, either research or insights or whatever, right? Because you're also, I mean, the other reality is you're getting a lot of information from customer support or client success, whatever, you know, if you're B2B or B2C, whatever. Um, And also uh, sometimes PR, because if PR is running a community, then they are naturally getting suggestions. So having somebody who's responsible for all those touch points between what you build and the people who use what you build and mining for information from all those touch points like that is smart (laughs) and keeping that independent is even smarter and so yes that does require somebody who is funneled up at the highest level to be that truth keeper Definitely comes with maturity, right, of, of organizations and, and those programs. Yep. I mean, you, you talked about it earlier. Sometimes the responsibility of, of research or user research, market research, and, and beta testing actually falls to someone who's not, it's not their title, not their role. So we see yep. a QA engineer just have to pick up and do a beta test and like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm close to the product. I know what's broken or I, I know how to, to read this stuff and, and they run testing or a product manager needs to go out the door and they just kind of get tasked, which is kind of, you know, Luke's story of, of center code being tasked with running a beta when he had no idea what it was, or it's not his job responsibility. So if there's no one that's responsible for it and they, everyone kind of has to pick it up, it's hard to mature it because that person's yes. probably done with it when they're done with it and that product's done. And now it's up to the next product manager, QA manager, support person to run it the next time. Uh, they have to, you know, get a product out the door or a new re- release or update. So yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm seeing. Is just it, it really truly depends on the maturity. Once they break through, say, product managers like, man, that was a great beta. I got I got good results out of, yeah. it. and they convince their boss like we should we should figure out some way to run a beta program for the company. Yeah. Like someone someone get a resource because we can't keep doing this like ourselves or. Uh, it's too cumbersome. What I see is that a lot of times it's the tools that they have to use that makes it cumbersome and the lack of yes. yep. experience and training and all that fun stuff. But yep. yeah, so it's totally yes. possible. I've seen those <laughs> insights teams that are like huge that have market research, user research and and uh, every type of research you can imagine and aspects of, of, of beta testing and all that fun stuff. But it's definitely slightly more rare um, because I think immaturity is far more prevalent in, in these companies now. Um, yeah, interesting. Cool. Cool. So one thing, I know we're going to get pretty close to time here. One thing I wanted to ask both of you was what advice do you have to you, your younger selves coming into tech? This is the great standard question for everybody. I hate this question. Yeah. That's a question. Please, be hungry, be thirsty. Let's go crazy. I love this one, uh, this question <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, so I'll start, I'll kick it off and give you some idea, to, some time to think about it, sure. Uh, for me, tech is all about curiosity. Curiosity, the way the world works, the way things work. It's not, a, a, oh, I want to be in tech because I like playing video games or I like cameras. It's, it's, that's not what, being tech's about 
being in tech is about being curious. And if you're curious about how things work, it doesn't mean you you have to be so curious and be the next Steve Jobs. Just curious enough. What are the settings on my camera? What are the what can I do with this? And why would I use it? Maybe I never will. But what do these buttons do? And get get a little get a little dirty. Get to find out my boot. That was a bad idea. Uh, break things and then fix them again. If you're curious, you're gonna do great in tech. Yeah. That to me, it just comes down to, to that point. So your your advice to yourself would be be curious. Be curious. Be curious. I like it. That's, I like it. Yeah, that's great. I, I can't top that mic drop. I think that's. <laughs> Come on, Sharon. You'd have advice for you. Uh, no. I need... <laughs> <laughs> Improv uh, more. <laughs> improv more, yeah. Well, okay, it's so a question for me specifically or or like Yeah, you know, if you were to, you're getting into tech and like you're like, Oh man, don't don't do that or you should really do that more. So you just stepped into the, the tech world and you're there for some reason in, you know, your current form and you're able to talk to yourself. What do you what do you what advice are you gonna give yourself? Well, I do think that most lay people who are not necessarily involved in the production of tech um, grossly underestimate what's required to make a tech product. Grossly underestimate. <laughs> so, so I think, I think that the, uh, the corollary there is when you look around and you're like, why are we doing things this way? And like, why are we spending money on blah, blah, blah? Uh, give some credit, some some leeway to uh, the people who've been there for a while and might have more experience with it. And and ask questions, you know, for sure, because it's important to understand, you know, why things are happening. And and honestly, you know, no company is run perfectly. So sometimes it is the, the people coming in with truly fresh eyes who are able to uh, see the inefficiencies and and actually have some really good recommendations. Um, uh, but there's some give and take there, I think. I don't know. Oh. I, I think for myself, I mean, when I look back, like just career wise, I think I've always been such a perfectionist and and self reliant, and so you know, this is this is outside of tech, right? That's just general of where. You, you have to be okay with asking for help and you okay with um, focusing on the most important things as opposed to everything. Uh, so I've gotten better about you know, those things over, over the years, but it took me a while. But that's just, that's any job anywhere, any industry. Uh -huh. um, for tech specifically, yeah, that's so tough. I think you think you so I about yourself because that was, my experience of all the years of working with you, it's always been your confidence in getting other people to open up and speak up and 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 getting people to collaborate together. And I know, frankly, like you said earlier, a safe environment to make them look good. So, but that that would be looking back and working with you, it was like, oh, Sharon's always amazing, getting the best out of everyone to create Aww. something yeah. amazing. Well, I, I had you. the same experience when I worked with Sharon. She gave me. A, I'm new at center code and I've done, you know, a handful of tests at, um, Western digital, like a, probably a dozen or so. She gave me a voice in her products line and she stood behind me while I was talking to people. I didn't know that her company telling them that here are some of the problems that we saw and things that worked. And 
she was there amplifying it. So she was, no, we, we need to fix that. That's a, a problem. And by all means, I was just handing results over and my opinions and what I've seen and observations uh, yep. of this, this new person that no one there has ever met. So I, I <laughs> totally agree with that, Mario. Well, thank you. No, you did good work. It was it was well-deserved, both of you. So, but thank you. Yeah. Go butter my temples now, fit my head through the door. So, <laughs> I um, haven't done one of those in a while now. Um, <laughs>